0: A programming note, the following podcast contains discussions of sexual violence. It may not be suitable for all audiences. How did an R&B artist who gave us hits like I Believe I Can Fly end up in federal court on charges of racketeering, sexual assault, and running a sex cult crime ring? I think a better question is, why did it take so long for R. Kelly to see the inside of a courtroom? Today on the Spot the Line podcast, we're going to talk about the people who enabled Kelly's alleged crimes, his long history of child sexual abuse, and the brave victims who continue to come forward in the face of horrific victim-blaming, stereotyping, and racial dynamics. Welcome to our primer on R. Kelly and why we should all be talking about the charges, especially with our teens and tweens. Join us. Hi, and welcome to the show. This is Joelle Castex, and I'm here with my co-host, Lauren Rizal, and we're going to talk about the latest trial of the century, the R. Kelly Federal Trial, currently underway in New York City. So for those of you who don't know, R. Kelly is an R&B star, and he's best known to mainstream audiences for his song, I Believe I Can Fly. But he's also well known for allegedly raping and exploiting young girls, including the now deceased Aaliyah, who he allegedly impregnated when she was 15. So the charges that Kelly and his real name is Robert Kelly, the charges he's facing are federal charges, meaning that this is not a rape trial per se. Um, he's charged with a broad racketeering case that portrays him as the kingpin of a decades long operation to recruit women and underage girls for sex by capitalizing on the singer's fame. That's according to the New York times. And, you know, like any trial of this nature, it is not without controversy. And the first one is how did he get away with this for so long? So Lauren, I'm sure you have thoughts
1: yes and and isn't this a question you've asked me before on other podcasts about other perpetrators right yeah this is this is we come back to this yeah so it's been since the 90s that he was accused of first accused of sexual abuse and misconduct often with underage girls and you know always he denies the charges and the last time he was actually in court um was in back in 2002, he was indicted and then took all the way till 2008 before his case actually made it into court. And then he ended up being acquitted. And in that case, the trial centered around this video that was allegedly of Mr. Kelly um, having sex with someone underage. And what happened in that case was the jury decided that they couldn't determine if the girl was underage or not, and she was not willing to testify for, you know, could be a variety of reasons. Uh, And so he was, he ended up being found not guilty. So that's kind of where it starts, where, you know, probably there was tampering with the witnesses and, you know, nothing ended up happening. And, and then we had a doctor. I'm going
0: to, I'm going to interrupt you there for a minute, because I think that it's important to note that that trial was considered, it was a child pornography case, and that's what Mm -hmm. they charged him with. And I've seen this before in my work where we, you know, we do have a big problem with people sexting back and forth. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: if you or anyone, you know, has photos of underage uh, boys and girls on any of your devices, even if this person willingly sent it to you, it can, it falls under the, the definition of child pornography, And so that's why, you know, I am always very adamant that parents need to, you know, monitor their, their kids' phones and know what's going on. And you talk to your kids about sexing and you talk to them, you know, this is, people go to jail for this. And uh, so, I mean, it's, it's a different issue than the R. Kelly issue, but I think it's still important to know. No,
1: Good, good, good to point that out. Absolutely. That's very important, especially when kids really don't, they're not thinking about that. Exactly. At all. Uh, So, you know, then many years later, we we had this documentary come out. There have been a couple of them, actually, but uh, the most recent one was, you know, Surviving R. Kelly was the title of it. And one of the jurors was actually uh, interviewed in this, uh, the jurors from this 2008 case. Uh, And she said there were other women who came forward to say they had been victimized by him to sort of support this idea that this is what he does. And the juror said, I just didn't believe them, the women. I know it sounds ridiculous. The way they dress, the way they act, I didn't like them. Ugh. So even now, we're, we're still looking at that sort of blaming the victim kind of situation or not believing them because there's something about them that you don't like. And certainly race could have been a part of this. I don't. I didn't see this documentary yet, so I don't know the race of the juror that was speaking here, yeah. but, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was uh, Caucasian. Right. Um,
0: well and it also could be a generational thing too, because the older generation, no matter the race, usually does not look kindly upon girls who do not dress how the older generation deems is correct. And that's you know, you get victim blaming across the spectrum, um, that way. So it could be, you know, it could be a double whammy. Could be a double whammy. You're right. Exactly.
1: So so there's that. Uh and then I, I think that does point to one of the things that's important about this, this new case coming coming forward. His trial started, I guess, on Wednesday, so we're in the middle of it now. We could talk a little bit about that. But one of the things that is different in this case when we compare it to, say, other really high-profile cases like Harvey Weinstein or uh, Bill Cosby or um, you know Jeffrey Epstein is that the majority of the accusers are Black women. Yeah or black girls and so the fact if they if they're believed if this moves forward and and goes in the direction that it should based on the evidence uh and he's convicted that will be a turning point and that will be something that we can be really happy about with the me too movement
0: yeah and it's it's interesting because you know r kelly's mo is exactly the same as weinstein's and exactly the same as as epstein's i will help you you know harvey weinstein i i I will help your career. Let's do a screen test. Let's do this and that. And that's exactly what R. Kelly did with these girls. And when you think about a young teenager who, and one of the, the gals who testified today, she's a Jane Doe, but goes by Zell. She said, all I wanted to do was sing. Mm -hmm. And he was, he was going to help her. And, you know, she, and then he took advantage of that by, you know, demanding that she kiss him and then asking her to perform sex acts and things like that. And when you're young, you don't know, you think, gosh, is this how it's supposed to be? You don't understand. You don't have the decision-making capabilities. And R. Kelly knew that and took advantage of it. Just like Weinstein. Weinstein knew that these young women were working really hard and wanted fame and it's like great. It was just it was a ticket right to his hotel room.
1: That's right. That's right. And and then we've got just the added bonus with R. Kelly that it was underage girls. Yeah, even worse, right? So so he's 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 got a couple things against him here. He's got the charges of racketeering. He's got violations of the Mann Act, um, which is j- just for all the listeners to know that's the interstate anti-prostitution law, right? So that's that's the law that says that. It's criminal to transport any woman or girl for the purpose of, of prostitution or what was called debauchery <laughs> or for any other immoral purpose. So he did that. And so they're, they're, that's one way to, to catch him. And then the, the racketeering, I mean, usually when people hear about racketeering, they're thinking the mafia. Right? Yeah. Um, But and I think you spoke a little bit about this in your intro, that really it's about that he had this criminal enterprise because he had all these people working to make this system happen where these girls were being brought in and then they were being kept there. And, um, you know, their phones were taken away from them, so they couldn't contact anyone. All of that.
0: Yeah, they had rules they had to follow. They felt like they were under physical threat.
1: And so when it comes to the
0: racketeering, this this is interesting because. You know, as I said, this isn't a rape case, but they need to show that there were sex acts with these these girls who could not consent because they're considered the predicate acts. They're the acts that show that there's this broad criminal enterprise. And so that's why so many victims are, you know, slated to testify, even though he's not being charged with crimes committed against them. Um, per se and the thing about the the difference between federal court and state court for racketeering and if he's found guilty on these charges he could go to jail for the rest of his life Yes. yes rape is a whole different story and we all know that and especially since in the and we heard in the case of the surviving r kelly juror you know it's it it's hard to get juries to understand the dynamics of rape and to empathize with victims who don't look the way that the the juror wants them to. And so, you know, if he's just charged with, you know, a rape here and a rape there and a rape here, his jail sentence could be much, much less.
1: Right, right. And in this case, he's charged with racketeering that has 14 underlying acts. One act of bribery, three acts of sexual exploitation of a child. One act of kidnapping, three acts of forced labor, and six acts of violating the Mann Act, which we talked about before. So this is all from 1994 up through December of 2018 with these involving these six Jane Does, um, and several of whom were, were underage, right? So to convict him of racketeering, the prosecutors have to prove that Kelly committed at least two of these 14 underlying acts. Yeah. And if he's convicted on all counts, he could, you're right, he could face several decades in jail. Well, and it's interesting because, you know, there have been rumors
0: about R. Kelly for for years and years. I mean, I remember the Dave Chappelle skit on his show about R. Kelly. Um, And it was, you know, it was crude, but it was crude enough and funny enough that I remembered it. And just always, oh, that R. Kelly's got to be bad news. And then over the past couple of years, when this stuff came up and the Surviving R. Kelly documentary... I, I became more intrigued and realized that I was remiss and not following. But I think it's very interesting that people like Lady Gaga, who considers herself a champion for, um, you know, for women's rights and against sexual assault, performed a duet with him and didn't really do the research and understood that there were there were these underlying allegations and only until after the surviving r kelly documentary came out did she say anything and Mm -hmm. and denounce that partnership and i mean you can't you know do a complete criminal background search on everyone you work with but it wasn't like i mean if i as an old lady know that there were these these creepy things against him then lady gaga should most certainly have known
1: right or at least her people should have brought that to her attention for sure right yeah uh yeah it was back in um uh 2017 when buzzfeed had this really big long detailed report that that came out that basically accused him of trapping these women in a cult um and and talked about how he seduced them when they approached him for help with their music careers like you were talking about and then he took control of their lives dictated what they could eat how they would dress when they would bathe when they would sleep uh what kind of sex and with whom um and if he was going to record it and all of that um and and so that was what really kicked off this most recent thing with with the documentary coming from that and thank goodness, right, that that somebody dug deep enough to go. Okay, we're we're not going to forget about this.
0: Oh yeah, and they they didn't have to do a lot of digging there on two seasons. I mean, there's a lot of stuff there. And um, you know, have you been following the Nexium cult at all? No, tell me about that, Joel. Uh, okay, so the Nexium cult was considered. It was. Uh, executive uh, success programs but it was a thinly veiled sex cult and keith ranieri who was the founder of it has been um i don't know what the status of his trial is i believe he's been sentenced and uh, an actress named allison mack was involved as well i don't have all the details here in front of me but the there are a lot of great documentaries that across all of the various streaming platforms that people can watch about it but they employed a lot of the same tactics, controlling what the women ate, controlling who the women spent time with. They even formed like this little master master uh, slave club where you had to do everything your master said, otherwise you would be shunned from the group. Now, these women were all adults. Many of them were professionals. A lot of them were Catherine Oxenberg's daughter. Yes. Okay.
1: Now I know what you're talking about. Now I remember this. Yes. Yeah.
0: But these were adult women, but they were adult white women. Mm-hmm. And so they were heard a lot more uh, plainly than I believe are Kelly's victims. Because, you know, it's, it's just so easy to silence these girls who are already traumatized and are already... And unlike a Keith Raniere who no one knows who he is... R. Kelly had money and fame and power, and it's so easy for people to say they're just money-hungry, they're just fame-hungry, they, you know, when they, the defense attorneys called one of the survivors a stalker.
1: Right. right. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when, when we get on the other side of the break, I want to talk more about the other people that were surrounding him that helped make this a, an enterprise. Sounds great. We'll be right back. All of us here at Spot the Line are dedicated to a world where everyone is safe from all forms of sexual violence, including harassment, assault, and child sexual abuse. We create apps and unique technology to help people spot the line to prevent sexual misconduct in all its forms. Our first two intervention and prevention tools, the Sexual Harassment Meter and the Predatory Grooming Meter, will be released later this year.
0: If you are like a lot of parents, you may be more than a little anxious about your child's safety. I have good news. Did you know that one simple conversation can stop child sexual abuse before it even starts? Do you know the five simple tips that will help your child repel predators for life? How about this? Do you know the one easy trick you can give your high schooler that will help keep him or her safer from sexual assault? It doesn't matter how old your child is. 10 minutes with my book, The Well-Armored Child, can change your life. I used evidence-based science and the experience of thousands of survivors of child sexual abuse to give you the best and easiest to use tools you can use right now. You can buy The Well-Armored Child on Amazon or through my website at castex.com. That's C-A-S-T-E-I-X.com. This is the Spot the Line podcast. Welcome back. So before the break, Lauren said she really wanted to dive into the issue of who are R. Kelly's enablers, and please do.
1: Well, just in general, of course, you know that he would not be able to have continued with this if it was just him on his own. I mean, that we know that without having to watch a documentary or, or hear from people. But to, to kind of know what goes into those decisions, why are those people looking the other way? And, and again, we may not ever know all the reasons for that. A lot of it's just money, right? Yeah. But one of the people that stuck out to me that I was, uh, I, I saw a segment of the documentary where he says, this was a former tour manager. I think his name, last name was Smith. Um, he said, that's the way it was. We worked for him. This is what he wanted. And so this is what we were supposed to give him. Right. And 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 they just didn't think beyond that Just sort of like, oh, he wants young girls around him and we're just going to make that happen. And so they did. Right. And so but what goes into that, that that denial or that shifting of your focus to think, oh, you know, he just wants to have sex with a a teenager and that's OK. Like that's the part we have to look at is that anybody is saying that that's okay? that that's OK. We know the perpetrator is already So messed up, and that that's his world. But it's the other people around him that I think we need to really start to question. Are we ever going to be that person? Are we ever noticing something that we're not sure if that seems quite right or that doesn't feel right or something's not right there? What do we do as opposed to just saying, well, that's just the way it is or that person's got more power than me?
0: Well, and it's interesting because you know, it's you'd almost look at R. Kelly as a quote unquote institution um because like the tour manager and then there was one of his assistants who worked at the house who always had to pick up uh prescriptions for herpes medication and and drive the young girls here and there and he he called it a big twilight zone but these are quote-unquote dream jobs for people i mean there are people who will go to business school and then move to hollywood or try to get into the movie industry and start as someone's assistant people with you know harvard mbas who can you know run the whole joint but they start at the bottom and they're and and you know how many times have we heard about assistants who are treated like you know dirt but who put up with it because it's a job they always wanted and i believe that's a huge reason that they're turning a blind eye to this because they you know i don't think they rationally look back and say well gosh it's the job or this girl or, you know, you know what I mean? But um, I think that uh, a lot of people tend to say, well, it's just a job. It's not personal. I'm just going to you know, do as I'm told and, and move on. It's not my decision to make.
1: Yeah. And I think that's what we have to look at as a culture and as a community that that really this kind of thing cannot be eradicated uh, by just the police getting involved way down the line. It's like all this damage has already been done to all of these girls. And it started in the 90s. And it is now 2021. Oh, yeah. And he is just now really coming to justice for this. And uh, and hopefully uh, by the time that, that people are listening to this podcast, perhaps the, the trial is over and we've got a verdict and, and he's guilty. But we just don't know. Even in this day and age, we just don't know, right?
0: Well, and you and I have, you know worked with survivors long enough to know that for the one who does come forward there are another dozen two dozen three dozen a hundred who take a look at what these survivors are going through in the justice system and saying
1: thanks but no thanks that's right that's right as opposed to oh i need to bring my voice with theirs to make it louder it's just too terrifying oh yeah
0: there's something like I didn't get herpes or maybe it wasn't that bad for me and
1: because you know it goes back to that
0: minimizing
1: as well (laughs) yes and and speaking I mean you brought up the herpes a couple times I just want to highlight that this is actually something he's accused of as well as purposely giving sexually transmitted diseases to someone because he had herpes for so long and many of these young girls contracted it from him
0: yeah they put his doctor on the stand who said yes it was herpes Mm -hmm. and the defense attorneys according to the New York Times said oh well but you know, Valtrex can be prescribed for all kinds of things, can it? And the doctor's response was something to the, along the line of, well, all kinds of herpes. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> Good for him. He wasn't, uh, he, he was honest and not paid off. We love that. Yeah. Um, and, and I do want to say, uh, not not that this is always the case, um, and, and this is not a defense in any way, right? But I do want to say that part of what I read about Kelly was that he was a victim of child abuse himself. He was assaulted um, According to him, he was raped by a female family member when he was eight years old. So, what you know, whether that's him trying to say, I'm a victim too, or, or if that's really true. But, but we do know that oftentimes um, perpetrators do have a history. So this is that, you know, repeating.
0: Yeah. And it's not the fact that the abuse happened that causes the recidivism. That's the term for when right. a, a victim of a crime goes on to commit that crime it's the fact that there was limited intervention and anyone helping this child to let them know that it was wrong what Mm -hmm. happened to them and let and help them get help and so you know i want to make it clear that you know recidivism is extraordinarily rare um but it's not rare at all among people who are accused of child sexual abuse. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> so, you know, it's uh, whether or not I really, you know, I, I, yes, I, 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 I yes,
1: I didn't, I didn't mean to throw in a red herring there. I just wanted to name it because it is something that's out there in the news and I don't want to say that we're not addressing all the oh, sides, you know. It's everything. a great point and, to
0: make. It's a great yeah. point to make. You know, and something else I want to bring up too is uh, R. Kelly's continued popularity as
1: an artist yeah I know I mean when I found out about Michael Jackson and I loved Michael Jackson's music I was like I'm not I'm not purchasing any of that music I'm not I'm not anymore I mean now once he died and now it's actually going to his children I'm okay with that, that's right? exactly what I did
0: I'm like those those poor kids they're they're just as much victims as the other survivors so I right. but, but I, it
1: was yeah, those people who stood by him, even though there was so much clear evidence and they're just like, oh, no, Michael could never do that. He's too gentle. He's too sweet. It's like, wow, the, de- the power of denial is never ceases to amaze me.
0: Well, and for the survivors who did come forward, they had to show such a tremendous amount of bravery because the Michael Jackson fan squad is out of control. And, and I can say that from firsthand experience because, you know, back when he was still alive and there was a, 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 a high school gymnasium in L.A. that was going to uh, take his name off of their gymnasium.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so. The LA Times called me because at the time I was a big spokesperson for the Survivors Network of those Abused by Priests, and apparently I hadn't learned my lesson yet. <laughs> and I told them, "Well, yeah, sure, you know, it's he and, I, and my exact words, and they quoted exactly was that he had a problematic history with children. Now he had not been convicted of a crime, so I couldn't, you know, I didn't make any outlandish accusations,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I got easily 20,000 emails <gasps> from around the world from angry fans.
1: And for, for, for saying they had a problematic relationship with children. Yes. Yes. And, and
0: I was telling my husband, I'm like, I have emails here from Iran. I mean, are the feds going to come and get me? So, I mean, you think about, I just had um, one quote in a newspaper. Right. Can you imagine What these survivors of pop stars like Michael Jackson, like R. Kelly, the kind of backlash that they face, Mm -hmm. even before they ever step foot in a police station or talk to a lawyer, any of that stuff. I mean, the opposition they face is is astronomical. Right.
1: Which makes it all the more ludicrous that that the defense that his attorneys are putting forward is that these women just wanted, um, you know, the publicity and uh, get money out of this. Like, like, as if there's any amount of money that's worth going through all of this. Or that they're stalking him. I mean, we know
0: what happens to stalkers because it's a crime. If these girls were stalking him, R. Kelly would have called the police and they would have been arrested. Mm-hmm, but he didn't. Because mm-hmm. they weren't. Yeah. There's, just, <sighs> there's so much to, to digest here. But, you know, what can... What can we take from this? What can we, as average everyday folks, take from this and and help stop that cycle of of the exploitation of children by you know rock stars or anyone else? Because it's been a big reckoning
1: for rock stars across the spectrum. Yes, well, I mean, we have to start believing them early, right? And we and and educating them early, right? Educating every child, girl or boy, right? Because this can happen to boys as well. We want to make sure that they understand what is appropriate and what's not and what's what's take you know what's illegal and what's not and we don't because people are afraid to talk about it. And so then kids get in a situation like this where they're in awe of this person that they've admired or that has all this power or is famous and everything else there's, there's nothing else, you know, you know, my parents don't understand. Um, this is an opportunity of a lifetime. All of that comes into play and we've got to educate them before they're in those situations.
0: Well, and it's even just bringing it up before it ever happens is a huge step because it allows them to identify it if they see it. Mm-hmm. Cause if you, if the, you only decide to bring it up once it's already happening, you're going to get that typical teenage denial, right? You and they're going to, you don't get it. Yeah. Or you're questioning me or you don't trust me or, or this or that. Whereas if you bring it up earlier and you talk, talk to your kids about this crime. I mean, and if you're scared to don't be because he was having sex with girls as young as 12. Mm-hmm. It's That's okay right. to talk to a 12 year old about this, you know, and the, you may say, well, my daughter would never end up alone with R. Kelly. My, my son would never end up alone with.
1: So pick another celebrity that that your child might actually be enamored with or or think is just everything. And not that we would ever want that person to be any kind of a perpetrator. But what if they were, right? Walk them through that. I
0: think what's also important is that we don't normalize um, the interaction between rock stars, movie stars, uh, pop stars, whatever, and kids. Yes, yes. And... I mean, we tend to, especially the boomer generation, and I'm not a boomer, I'm a Gen X, but <laughs> the boomers tend to really romanticize the era of, um, you know, being a groupie, and going to concerts and being so young and sneaking in and, and going backstage and all that stuff. And we have to look back and say, okay, that, that kind of, that, that can't happen.
1: Right. And also, I mean, go back, Elvis Presley. Oh, okay. yeah. Priscilla was a teenager. Right when he kind of eyed her and decided she was the one, and and waited till she was what I don't even know was she was she of age when they married or she got the got he
0: waited until she was eighteen or nineteen when they got married, but they started dating when she was like not even like a older teenager. We're yeah, she was like, like a fourteen young or something. Yeah, yeah, that's what I
1: remember too. So yeah, it's this is not new, and it's just about. Not ignoring it anymore and, and, yeah. and addressing how problematic this is and how dangerous it can be.
0: Well, you know, to bring up other old timers, Jerry Lee Lewis oh. married his cousin. She was 13 at the time. Yeah. And, you know, people dismissed it and said, oh, well, you know, or I guess it's okay. So on and so forth. No, not okay. It is not okay. And you look
1: And there- And that's the phrase that I think people just need to, to keep in mind. It's so basic. But to just, whenever something's happening, you know what? That's not okay. Yeah. You know? Uh, I mean, my son just told me the other day when he was playing a sport um, that there was a woman who was like you know, hit him on the butt with her with her paddle, right? And, and and she did it more than once, kind of like, ha ha, whatever. And he said, it made me really uncomfortable. And I said, he said, but I don't know how to handle it. And I said, well, you you have to say, hey, that's not okay. You need to, you know, don't do that to me. It's not, it's not okay. And he was like, that's all I have to say. And I said, yeah, yeah, that's all you have to say. Um, and I know in the moment, he was sort of like frozen, like, what the heck? You know, <laughs> what's happening here? Why is she doing that? But if it's going to happen again, or if he's going to interact with that person again, he's he's ready now. But it doesn't have to be this complicated, you know, situation where you like go into some long verbal thing about how this makes you so uncomfortable, and you need to—that's inappropriate. No, you don't. Just say, hey, you know what, that's not okay. Yeah, and because you know, I think that people are like,
0: well, I don't want to make them uncomfortable. Well, if you just say, you know what, that's not okay. Please don't do that.
1: And then you end it. Then no one's uncomfortable. Yeah, you There's just move no, on. Yeah. You move on, and and they're on notice now that you're someone who's not just going to let them do whatever. Yeah, and and again, this is not blaming the victim. Of course, we've, we many people have been in situations where they couldn't find those words in the moment. Totally get that, but when you know that it could happen again, if you can be prepared and think, maybe just saying, just setting the boundary sometimes is enough. Sometimes okay. it's not, but many times it is, and that's really what I teach in my classes. Just set that verbal boundary and see what happens
0: yeah and i think another really big takeaway that we we need to push is you know believe and support all survivors Mm -hmm. even if they don't dress the way you like Mm -hmm. even if they don't have a job you like even if they may have a history you don't like um because you know i look at these these victims of r kelly and you know we we know that they have been you know judged because of how they dressed or because of where they were or because of their background or whatever and you know we we see that you know even in the catholic church the the first thing they do is say oh well this kid's a drug addict why should we believe him and it's like well have you ever wondered why the kid's a drug addict Mm -hmm. maybe it's because he was sexually abused Mm -hmm. have you ever wondered why this young lady may dress that way well maybe because She didn't have the adult guidance that she needed at the time to to learn some of the social norms about appropriately dressing. And if she didn't learn that, what else was neglected for her? That shows that she's even more vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that you know, believing survivors, supporting them, and making sure that we all stand up and say, you know, I don't care how rich and powerful you are, this this is not okay. It's not okay. That's right,
1: and and this is you know an example of it, it took a lot of years to get this to, to get him in court like this, right? Um, but it's happening now, and that is progress. Yeah, uh, and that and that you know he has been dropped by Sony, right? He there there have been things that repercussions in his in his career for for what's happened here, whether or not he gets convicted in court right now or not. That there has been damage done. And it's recognized. And I think that that is a step forward. Yeah. And there, you know, there is the mute R.
0: Kelly movement, right? It's, it's a trending hashtag and, you know, and, and think about like, so you say, well, I just listened to him on Spotify or Pandora. Well, he still gets paid for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, your half a cent or whatever that would go to him is, is, is not worth it there are so many other great artists out there who do not exploit and rape and traffic young women. And, yeah, I'm, and in so-
1: that, I'm, I'm in that category of people who can't really differentiate the artist from his, his behavior. I know there are people that say, Oh, that's the art. And I, I don't think about that. Well, no, I think it's all, it's all one.
0: Yeah. I, I take it on a case by case basis. Like Michael Jackson, you know, I really liked his music. I boycotted it while he was alive, but now the money goes to his kids. I'm okay yes. with that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and, and if people from the past did a lot of bad things, as long as we say, hey, this guy was a real jerk, but here's his painting. It's not like I have the money to buy it, so it's not something <laughs> I'm doing. But, you know, it's, I, I think that the we keep people accountable by keeping them accountable financially, calling them to court criminally,
1: And taking
0: a stand as a community.
1: That's right. And and not being silent. And and if not being silent, in this case, just might be that you are vocally supportive of these victims and their stories when you're talking to other people about what's in the news.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Well, that's all we have time for today. Uh, If you like what we're doing here, give us a five-star rating. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to share Spot the Line with your friends, your family, your colleagues. You can follow us on Twitter Twitter and Instagram at Spot the Line. And join our conversation on Facebook because we're all in this together. See you next time.
0: This is the Spot the Line podcast.